All right, everybody, welcome to the 231st edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, chilling here in Southern Oregon, and boy, oh boy, is my bracket busted after the Oklahoma State loss. Mine too. That that serves me right for putting all my faith into a top draft pick. Like, it really doesn't happen. It, like, Carmelo Anthony is the last good collegiate basketball player to lead their team to the final to the championship like durant was out in the first round i think michael beasley was out in the first round d rose d rose did get memphis to the final game against kansas but then mario chalmers happened i I gotta stop doing that i didn't watch a whole lot of college basketball this year and i was like hmm, i think this might be a trendy pick and lo and behold so many brackets that i saw had oklahoma state going i should have known better I, i gotta stop doing that uh so shame on me my bracket is busted. My wife is kicking my ass and uh, looks like I'm going to have to make her dinner if things keep uh, going the way they're going. That's not the worst thing in the world. Um, you know, for th- this is since I play uh, this bracket and it, it's with my family and like the winner gets to choose the number one like how uh, room in the house if we ever do a family reunion. I know that I'm lowest on the pecking order, so I wouldn't have really, you know, I had to win. So it, it didn't really matter to me. Um, but, you know, I always go biased as hell with my picks. I mean, year after year after year after year, I, I ruin a team's chances with my love, like ruined uh, M- Michigan State with Denzel, Otto Porter Otto and George Porter Jr. Yeah, yeah, Otto Porter Jr., Kate Cunningham. It just it adds to the list of people that, I shouldn't love until they're in the league. Then, then it doesn't really matter as much. But you know, it, it's, it's all in good fun. I'm totally gonna lose to everybody in my family. Yet I watch basketball for a living, and that doesn't feel good. But it is what it is. So, as of this recording, only the first half of the Sweet 16 has been uh, awarded. So, shout out to. All of the the mid-majors, there's been so many upsets. Uh, Oregon State, you know, kudos to them for making the Sweet 16. The Pac-12 in general, uh, kudos to the Lady Beavers for defeating, I believe it was, they killed Florida State in their first game. Um, I'm anxious to watch Oregon play Iowa tomorrow morning, and then the Lady Ducks um, play, I think it is, I don't know who they play. I know they play at 7 on ESPN, so I will be tuning in. So. Pac-12 has been representing, so I, I'm pretty – got to be pretty happy with that as a West Coast boy. I, I get to see Kay Cunningham in the league, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, one team that I have been enjoying watching this year, them damn Gonzaga boys can play some basketball, bro. They, uh, they have a very fun scheme to watch. I told my mom, hey, this is the team that you're going to enjoy watching the most. I am a humongous fan of how that team is ran. I don't think Jalen Suggs is as good as everybody else does, but man, that team is good. 
Yeah, I, I'm more of an, an NBA boy. It's I like the NBA and I like women's college basketball. Men, it's fun in March, but the collegiate game needs to change the, some rules significantly. Uh, no more possession arrow. Let's get that shot clock down to 24 like big boys. Um, let's speed up the game. Eight seconds to get the ball off a of half court. No more timeouts. Like the, I, 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 I'm, I was baffled. I was watching a game and I couldn't believe this rule was still in the books where the the offensive team could score and then call a timeout like that that that's bunk bunk so they, they better start fixing this because it could be a really fun game like basketball's a beautiful game but you got to have the rules that that get the flow and i was telling olga i was like with the three point line even pushed further in than the nba line if any coach wants to embrace the modern game they're going to win championships hand over fist like i see too much like Oh, they have a big guy. Let's just dump it in, dump it in. It just kind of gets a little uh, m- m- mucked up down low. Oh, the spacing get, absolutely atrocious for some of these teams, bro. Like get some shooters, and you're good to go. Yo, my the one of the happiest things my mom ever said to me was, "Ew, this spacing sucks." And I'm like, "Hell yeah, yeah." Olga's like, "I'm glad this this is only in March." Like she's like, "I can only put up with so much of this." I, I kind of dig being able to wake up, you know, and watch basketball from then until nighttime. That's dope. I, I, I fuck with that. But, you know, some of these teams run some really archaic offenses. So I hope the, the Ducks beat the shit out of Luca de Garza. So let's get back and talking about some uh, NBA basketball. Yeah, overall, it was a pretty good week for our Trailblazers. Four games all at home against two opponents. They kicked it off with a miraculous comeback against the New Orleans Pelicans, winning 125-124. They flipped the script and won defensively the following night, uh, 101-93. They had a back-to-back against Luka and the Mavs. Once again, they came through in the clutch, 125-119. to And then, unfortunately, they did not have it at all tonight. Lose, I think they lost like 132 to 92. I kind of tuned that one out. But overall, Portland, 25 and 17 on the season. They are tied with the Denver Nuggets for fifth in the Western Conference. They are just a game and a half behind the Clippers for fourth and two and a half games behind the Lakers for third. So golden opportunity there for the Blazers to gain some ground on the Nuggets who lost today and the Lakers who also lost today. But um, let's let's start off by, by talking about the game that just happened. Let, let's kind of, you know, rip the Band-Aid off. But we'll, we'll get to the good stuff later. But Sage, when, when you watch a game like that, are you are you saying it's just one of 72 and that, and that can happen? Is it the product of playing the same team twice? Or did this game kind of show the deficiencies of this this blazer team that they gave up 76 points in the second and third quarters combined they do their defensive scheme does allow star players to play on an island and go off we've seen steph curry score 62 uh luca was like eight for eight from three before missing his first uh contest from or shot excuse me from, from downtown and then you see the offense it was it was very iso heavy and I felt like Dallas took Damon CJ out of the game way too easily. Like we were relying on mellow ISOs and it, it just didn't feel like we were mentally prepared today. And I know it's tough because you don't get time to practice, but when you see a Blazers team win a game defensively, which they did against the Pelicans the second time around on Thursday, 
you think, yes, this team can do it. But then they come out and give up 132. Uh, what what did you take away from that game? Because I do think it was important, and I don't think we should just brush it off to the side. But on a concern level, like where are you at with, with this performance tonight, Sage? Um, I acknowledge that there is uh, problems with it, but when Luca goes eight for eight from three in the, you know, sometimes you just go against a team that's outlandishly hot, and that's kind of how I feel about it. It's just. You know, it's just a bad bump. I would be very interested to see how we play against the Brooklyn Nets. Um, if that, if we get blown out like that against that team, then it may be a uh, a uh, worse sign than what it is right now. So for right now, I feel like we're just out of this world hot. I, I do agree that we went out of our offense a lot. It seemed like Mello wanted to be the ISO god and take up a lot of shots, and Dave and CJ kind of just let him do what he wanted to do. I, 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 I'm on the. We got to keep it moving and see what happens in uh, against Brooklyn. Then, if, if if we're talking like this next week, then it's time for me to readjust some expectations. But for now, it's just a it's just a warning sign. It isn't a uh, something that we have to react too drastically that's just me i know you have a different feeling no i i don't think it's you know we went three and one so Mm -hmm. you 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 take that in and and you kind of run with it i had us going two and two you actually predicted all the games correctly so kudos to you you went four and oh but you take three and one i do understand it's hard to beat a playoff team twice in a row um even at home yes you are expected to do that if you are the higher seed in the postseason. So that's something that Portland does need to keep in the back of their minds that while something is hard, that doesn't necessarily equate to it being impossible. And that's kind of the vibe I get from the team sometimes, like especially when we lost to Minnesota. It's like, yeah, it's hard to beat a, a team twice in a row. Well, a, a lot of the best things in life are hard, but it doesn't mean they're they're impossible. Um, but it, it would have been a, a pretty big deal to, to beat the Mavericks 3-0 on the season. It was just interesting that we lost in the nature we did because usually every game against Dallas is down to the wire, even back to Luca's, you know, rookie year. But again, these are just the glaring weaknesses that I see from the Blazers that are holding them back from being a true contender. Um, you look at their three point percentage, 22%, nine of 41. I believe the sub 10 threes made breaks our streak i think it was like 54 games which was second most in league history that shows that the blazers are very reliant on that three-point shot um, i tweeted out from the holy backboard account put chris taps porzingis in pick and roll situations all night long we didn't do that now now damian lillard it was reported by um, jay allen who works for the blazers broadcasting had his knee looked at and nobody knew about that but they cleared him though they gave him treatment that could have been bothering him. Yes, you're getting CJ back for only the fourth game, so you probably need others to step up. And and you're right. Some of the shots Luca was hitting was pretty ridiculous. And yes, he's not that type of three-point shooter, but he can get that hot. And then you also had Tim Hardaway Jr., Josh Richardson, uh, Maxi Cleaver. They they were all in rhythm. So it was a – we let them get into a rhythm, and they kind of took it and ran with it. It would have been nice to see us – you know, trap Luca a little bit more, especially once you saw him get it going. 
what I was most kind of head scratching was we would just switch whenever they ran a pick and roll and they would target Damian Lillard quite a bit and they would just get Luca in the post and he was either taking Dame or Trent Jr. And we did nothing. And he was, it was basically just a walk in the park layup and you can't allow that to happen. So again, I was, would have liked to have seen a little bit of defensive adjustment. Again, I don't think anything we really would have done tonight would have led to a victory. Dallas was just kind of on one, but it also shows like, I didn't see a lot of urgency from the Blazers on defense. I mean, you go back and you watch tape from that second Pelicans game. That was the best defensive performance from tip to buzzer that I have seen the Blazers play in two since, since the postseason of 2019. I mean, we were jumping passing lanes. We were helping out. We were communicating. We looked like it was postseason basketball. And this team just likes to take their foot off the pedal just, just too much for my liking. Like, we're we're not talented enough just to win on talent. And that's why the, the 2016 Blazers did so well. You know, obviously you lose six-year top seven scores that, that summer. Everyone's predicting you to win 20, 24 games, 26 you go out, you go to the second round of the playoffs. It's because they scrapped the hell out of the, out, out of every team. We, I think we need more of that scrap, and I saw that in that second Pelicans game. And this one, hopefully it is a lesson where they can kind of take it with them and be like, okay, our shit does stink a little bit. Like, you know, it's, it's not all roses and rainbows and sunshine in, in, in Rip City. Like, we can be beat. We can be beat very badly. And if we don't come correct, we can get downright embarrassed. So frankly, I am thrilled we're playing a team of Brooklyn's stature and caliber because this may not make news because it's during March Madness. Uh, if you do lose again on Tuesday to Brooklyn, people are going to be talking about it. So the Blazers, I, I just think it, it's, it's all mental for them. It, it, it really is. They, the roster is there. I think the roster is good enough. Um, I, I, I give Terry Stotts a lot of credit. I mean, he finally got through to them to play defense, but then can he continue to do that? Like that's the coach's role. So it's on him to hold the team accountable. Like this team can play defense that they showed us that like there's, there's no denying saying this is a bad defensive team personnel wise. There, there may be some, I think subpar individual defenders, but when they put their minds to it and they actually go out there and, and play they can do it. Hopefully this is just a wake up call and they kind of take it to heart. Uh, but again, overall, I, I, I think this is tape that you might just throw away and just say, guys, we, we got to come correct. Like hopefully it challenged their swagger, their ego that you guys got, you guys got punched in the mouth. How are you going to react? It's all about the react because every team in history has got punched in the mouth. The great ones know how to bounce back and, and take the fight to the opposition the next night. And so that's that's really what I'm looking forward to is the response. Like we, we can look back at this game and, and hopefully it's just, oh man, that was kind of like an outlier. Like we lost by 40, holy crap. Oh, what did you do the next two, three, four, five games? Like did, did you let it beat you multiple times or did you have a short memory and you took the fight to the next team? So uh, the Blazers, they, they have a lot. But they can they, they can atone for this. I mean, that's that's kind of the beauty of basketball. We don't have to wait a week for them to 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 rebound. It's short memory. You get a, a couple good nights of sleep, and you're back on the court Tuesday. Yeah, um, I definitely have some thoughts and opinions on that Pelican game. But what did you? How scared were you about Damian Lillard's knee 
in the game one of the uh, home and home against Dallas because that scared the piss out of me when he he when uh, Josh Richardson dived on his knee. Oh, I thought that there was going to be a, I thought we were going to get a bunch of L's uh, right in a row after that. I was going to say, to be honest, like, it seems like Damian Lillard gets hit. I mean, it, it seems like it's been his fingers have been popping out of place or he's landing. Like he takes, he's kind of like Allen Iverson. Like he takes a lot of spills and I, I hold my breath every time he dribbles the basketball. Like that's the franchise right there. So of course you're concerned anytime anything happens to arguably the greatest player in team history. And and like you said, if he gets hurt, we need to shut it down. Like that there's no rhyme or reason to try to win any games because you're not going to win in the playoffs if he's hurt long-term. Like he is it for this city. Like he is mm-hmm. it for this franchise. So I, I, I hope we did the smart thing because, because Dame is, I mean, he's, a he didn't even go out of the game. No, After he's a self-defined name. soldier. Like he'll say that as much. Like you have to drag and pull him out from a game. Like he he probably would have wanted to play in that fourth quarter tonight. So I hope the doctors really did a thorough check of the knee. I hope he's he's okay. He looked like he was moving all right, but again, Dame is such a warrior that he can, can mask a lot of the pain and he plays through a lot of pain. But maybe that's why he wasn't super aggressive on on offense. I mean, you still look at the numbers. He, he, he still had a fine night. But it wasn't he was rather passive in that game. He was very yes. But what did you think about the CJ uh, McCollum performance in Game One? Did you th- did you think that that was uh, sustainable this early after a major injury? I think it has to be. Um, so you know, it, it was welcome back, CJ. He had a couple of rough shooting nights. Uh, to kick off his comeback against the, the New Orleans Pelicans, um, just for for reference, in, in his first game back, he played 26 minutes. He had 10 points, three of 11 from the field, two of seven from three. Okay, you kind of expect a rough seed performance there. The second game against the Pelicans, I thought he got a lot of good looks. Couldn't throw them in the ocean. It happens. 11 Him points. Yeah, 11 points, three of 16. Fast forward Friday night, it was a back-to-back, and CJ CJ really was that one, that, that Robin to Dame's Batman that we needed, uh, especially when you're going up against an offensive firehouse um, like the Dallas Mavericks. You know, he had 32 points, four assists, four rebounds, shot seven of 13 from three. That was the CJ that you're like, okay, th- this is what this is what we need. You know, not to put everything on CJ, but – James Harden said he would come to Portland and CJ even admitted himself. Like if James Harden's coming here, I'm going out. And at the time CJ was having a career year. So you're like, okay, I'm fine with the Blazers keeping CJ. We like him better personally. Uh, The Damon CJ relationship is fantastic. We want to win with these two, but for the Blazers to make any sort of noise in the postseason, CJ McCollum has to play like an all-star, not a fringe all-star, not an all-star level. He needs to play like an all-star and an all-star plays consistent high-level basketball and for him to do that his third game back you know that was was pretty spectacular hopefully he continues to get a rhythm he's no longer um he mentioned that they were thinking about maybe not playing him in that back-to-back but he said okay my foot's my foot's feeling better Uh, he was able to go a little bit longer he played almost 28 minutes in that game against the Mavericks on Friday and yeah, it was, it's, it's really just a relief to be honest, even if he's not having a great shooting night, Sage, 
to know that to start the second quarter, even to start the fourth quarter, when Damien's out, that you have an all-star caliber player who's running your offense. Like, I think towards the end of the games without CJ, we were really holding on for dear life. Like, mm. come on, Ant, can, can you just hit us a couple of threes? Or you know, we were what hoping can we get for from six hoodie? points in a rotation or something. Yeah, like, can we just like hang on? And it felt like we were hanging on more and more. Like it, it mm. just it wasn't sustainable. So to get CJ back was just kind of like, okay, this is what it should feel like, and it feels so much better than what it did before. So I'm happy that he played like that his third game back. Hopefully that was a big confidence booster for him because Dame's had to carry this franchise for nine years. I, you know, hopefully it comes to a point where maybe Dame can take a game off. Maybe CJ can just cook for a couple of games. I mean, he's had the the capabilities to do so. Um, so fantastic that CJ was able to, to do CJ things. Um, I thought in tonight's game, he reverted back to last year, CJ. He was a little bit dribble happy, taking a step in to take long contested twos. Didn't seem super sure of himself. I would say in Hopefully. the first quarter he was driving, and then the second it's when the uh, the wheels came off and he kind of yep. reverted. But in the first quarter, I was like, damn, he he had that floater where uh, uh, CJ wrapped around uh, the screen and Dame hit him on the dot for the runner layup. There was some good plays where I was thinking, okay, we just have to weather the storm in game two, and we got this. But uh, yeah, in that second quarter, shit didn't, or the second rotation, shit wasn't as uh, easy offensively for us to uh, score. So, yep. And so hopefully, maybe it's getting his his wind, getting his feet underneath him. I mean, the three point line is is pretty far back. So once he gets his I think everything will be fine with CJ. He's the type of dude that cares too much about his performance and the team's performance. I don't I'm not unless if he's fully healthy, he's going to ball out. It's just we got to be kind of patient with him. There's going to be more explosions in the near future, especially going against a team like Brooklyn like I don't expect James Harden or Kyrie to put an effort to defend Damer CJ. So I, there's going to be games where he just is absolutely dominant. We have to talk about what Damian Lillard did in that first contest against the New Orleans Pelicans, because I don't think we realize how crazy that that performance was. I have a, a lot of facts from that performance. Obviously the Blazers most importantly, get the victory. Dame goes off for 50 points on 20 shots, six of 13 from downtown, 13 of 20 from the field, 18 of 18 from the stripe, 10, 10, 10 assists, six rebounds. Um, and say he, he did it. it. It was, it was Dame time. And before we get into the, the stats, actually let's get into the stats now. Then I want to ask you a question. So this was the, the second time that Dame has really, made the impossible possible. The first one was against the Chicago, Chicago Bulls. Yep. We, we trailed by five with less than 10 seconds left. And I went back and I looked at the, uh, the ESPN stats and info Twitter account. And it said in the last 25 seasons, teams are nine and 23,498 when trailing by five plus in the final 10 seconds of a game. 
However, Portland and Washington did it in back-to-back nights, and that was as of January 31st. So again, think think of those odds. In- incredible defiance of, of any mathematical statistics or odds, and Damian Lillard said, Dame time it is greater than any of those statistics. So damn your statistics. Damian Lillard, I mentioned it, 50 points on 20 shots. One, he did not miss a two-point shot. His 20 field goal attempts are the third fewest FGAs among 50-point games in NBA history. Adrian Dantley had uh, 17 field goal attempts in 1980, and Willie Burton had 19 in 1994. So he's the third player in NBA history to do that. That 50-point performance also gave Dame 12 50-point games for his career. He is now tied with arguably the GOAT, LeBron James, for seventh most in league history with 50-point games. He's knocking on the door of Rick Barry at number six, who has 14, and Elgin Baylor is in striking distance at number five with 17. So within the next year or two, Damian Lillard could be top five in 50-point games, which is an insane place to be. That that company is the elite of the elite. This early, too. And this early in his career, he also had 10 assists. So he tied Nate Tiny Archibald and Russell Westbrook with his third 50-point 10-assist game in his career. Uh, only James Harden, who has eight, has more in NBA history. So he's in rare air in, in that statistical category as well. Sage, they trailed by 17 points with 647 left in the game. Can I be Did real? Me- yeah. I knew the Pelicans were going to lose in the fourth quarter at the start. But 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 at, at the 647 mark, up yeah, 17? I, I swear to God, I told my mom, hey, Pelicans are going to lose. Watch. It's because in that in the first three quarters of that game, the Pelicans offense was really movement heavy and really attacking the basket. And I thought if they continued with that offense, they were going to just steamroll. But as the fourth quarter started, you saw Zion and Brandon and uh, Zoe dribbling out the clock. And you saw the Blazers chipping into that lead and chipping into that lead. We got Dame time. Pelicans got lame time after what happened in that fourth quarter, bro. Like the Pelicans have, have talked about wanting to prove that they can win in tight scenarios. And they got that. And you know what they what happened? They couldn't inbound the ball. Brandon Ingram missed two free throws. Uh, Zion Williamson turned the ball over like three times trying to drive to the paint. They lost all intensity in that fourth quarter. So I knew that the, they were going to do some dumb shit and lose that game. I didn't know it was the Keel Alexander Walker because he had a great game. And it, that, that, that Pelicans performance was just so, so random because of Nah and Eric and uh uh Zoe hitting so many threes, it was just like this is all gonna collapse on us eventually, or on the Pelicans eventually. Holy shit, it was awful. Like I, I knew if the Pelicans started playing like that, we're gonna fuck up. So after that comeback, why I think it was so important, Portland came out of the all-star break, not great. They're one and two, blew a th- uh, 13 point lead against the Phoenix Suns at home lost the second of a back-to-back against the worst team in, in the NBA against Minnesota Timberwolves 
And now you have another team that that wouldn't even be in, in the in the play-in, yeah, another lottery team in the Pelicans, and you're about to lose at home again. Sage, when Dame did his magic against the Chicago Bulls, it sparked a, an 8-2 uh, stretch, eight wins, two losses over the next 10 games. Portland clearly beat the Pelicans here. They beat them again, beat Dallas, and then they lost to Dallas. But they're, they're still 3-1 and one since mm-hmm. that game happened. Do you think that is a, a season-defining performance for the Trailblazers? Because I could, because I could have seen, I could have seen it really go downhill. Like if we lose that game, there's a chance we may have lost to the Pelicans again. Like, mm. yeah, I, I think that that is just like a confidence confidence booster in Damian Lillard, and I, I get it that we rely on him so much and too much, to be honest, with a. Uh, late game heroics and that we should have won in the uh we should have been better in the first three so yeah i think that this could be a a a defining set of the uh the year for the blazers and yo like man i know that i've shit on the pelicans offense but the blazers also needed to make the stops and get the rebounds and score but that game was that game was a very weird game. I guess the Pelicans and Blazers will never have a normal, you know, 48-minute game. It's always going to be a weird outlier game. For me in that game two of the Pelican series, when I watch it, I saw that the Pelicans weren't shooting well at all. So that gave the Blazers a really... um Easy, a much easier assignment because you saw what the Pelicans offense looked like in the first three quarters in the first game. So to go from hitting everything to hitting nothing, it made the job so much easier for the Blazers because they could just collapse paint on Brandon and Zion. And if they kicked it out, it was going to be a shooter that was cold instead of a shooter that was red hot. So you, we could put Ennis in for long periods of time and we can play the play type of defense that we want to play and collapse on that paint and not let anything happen. So I think the Bla- the Pelicans' lack of shooting led to the Blazers just knowing the personnel and doing their thing. And like it, it really worked for the Blazers in that time because why, why would you try and run out at Nah if he ain't shooting well? Or why would you try and run out on Eric if he's airballing airballing threes so i think what the blazers did was be smart and i thought that was the first time 48 minutes blazers played smart yeah and i thought they played active i mean you look they had eight steals they had eight blocks they were plus six on the rebounds plus four on the offensive glass those those categories have been portland's bugaboos this Mm -hmm. entire season they were active. They were swarming on defense. They were communicating. They were talking to one another. They were making the right reads. So it's easier to rotate and get out on shooters. It helps that New Orleans shooters weren't shooting as hot as they did in the first two matchups with, with, these, uh, with these teams. However, I thought they just knew their personnel a little bit better. Like you would, of course, you'd rather have Alexander Walker or Bledsoe or even Lonzo shoot than Zion. Zion, was, mm. it's, it's possible to defend him. So of course you want other players, you mm. know, taking shots um, that that aren't Zion Williamson because he shoots at like a historic clip. Yep. I, I just thought the Blazers finally put put it to themselves mentally, like they got it set in their minds. 
We're going to play defense. We're going to do it for a full 48 minutes. We won a game that we normally would have lost by 20 or 30 points. We barely cracked 100 points. Uh, DJ, Gary, and CJ combined to shoot seven for 38, and we still won by eight points. It's because we play defense, and that's that's what travels. Not three-point shooting, you know, not Dame's heroics, none of that. You can always bring your defense every single night. And hopefully we'll see more of that as we kind of get into this, the stretch run uh, of the season. I'm, I, I have a feeling that it's going to be very sporadic with like, there's going to be, we're going to beat the shit out of the nets because of good defense that then led up against some team. We shouldn't have led up. If we can get consistent, we're going to make some noise. It's they just have to show us that they can do it for more than, you know, five minutes at a time or one game against the Pelicans. So we had some some pretty big injury news. LeBron James hit uh, really takes a, a hit with a high ankle sprain. There's no timetable. Uh, it's been reported he's out indefinitely. Anthony Davis is also nursing an Achilles injury. Uh, Joel Embiid is still out for a couple of weeks. Kevin Durant's been out for an extended period of time. Uh, Steph Curry's playing on a team that's just fighting for uh, a playoff spot. The same could be said for Luka Doncic. So Sage, right now, this could be the best chance a Trailblazer has at an MVP since 92 with Drexler. I mean, you're looking at, at, at two Northwest powers, Nikola Jokic and Damian Lillard. And I think it could be whichever player takes his team up the standings for, for the MVP because – we talked about this a while ago and kind of like the formula that goes into an MVP and that's, you know, winning memorable moments um, and a narrative. I think Dame is starting to, to get that narrative and the narrative is it's Dame time, you know, Dame time is clutch time and his stats in the clutch are just insane. So I pulled these stats before we played tonight. So these are as of yesterday. So First off, the NBA defines clutch time as the final five minutes of a game with a point difference of five or fewer. So Dame leads all NBA players in clutch points with 128. Zach Levine is next with 116. He's shooting 57.8% from the field, 37 of 63. 48.5% from three on 33 attempts. That's an 80.3 true shooting percentage. He has not missed a free throw in clutch situations, 38 of 38. He has 17 assists to just uh, six turnovers. That's damn near three to one assist to turnover ratio with the ball constantly in his hands and defenses blitzing him at will, which is just incredible. And here, here you go. These two are pretty uh, key to me. He doesn't play the most clutch minutes. He's only played 87. That's 12th most. And Dame's 18 and six record, the 18 wins leads the NBA. So if you want to go even deeper in the final minute of games with a point difference of five or fewer, just in the final minute, Dame leads the NBA with 57 points while shooting 12 of 18 overall. That's 67%, five of nine from downtown and 28 of 28 on free throws. Those last in the minute stats are courtesy of USA Today. And those are after that first Pelicans game. 
we're not seeing just, you know, really good performance in the clutch Sage, we're now in the territory where if you're doing a Mount Rushmore of clutch NBA players, you damn near better have have Damian Lillard on on that list. His play throughout the year has been transcendent, and the and he he thrives when the team needs him most, and that's something that I've heard a lot while watching college basketball. This player thrives when the team needs him most. Well, that that's Damian in a nutshell. That's what that's what he's been built on is these clutch moments these you know you start with the hornets uh, a game winner against ryan anderson and then you go to the oklahoma uh, city game winner the chicago game winner there's so much to talk about with dame in these clutch moments that it's not surprising at all that he's the number one clutch uh performer that's just who he is and that's what he's built on i remember last year we were shocked that he missed a game winning three-pointer that does not happen for normal people. He's not normal. He just cold blooded in these scenarios and he just dominates shit. If you were a betting man, I am though. <laughs> I know you are. That's why that's why I like that's why I like asking you this question. Would you if you had good enough, would you put money down for Dame to win the MVP? If if not, what's holding you back? Who who do you think are his his main competitors? Because right now it seems like there's a perfect yeah there's a perfect storm brewing for Damian Lillard to not only become the leader but to kind of run away from it. Like if you're hurt, as in the case of Embiid or LeBron, you, you can't raise your case and start, you know, the comeback chase. It's now the, the race is the floodgates are open Sage. It is a wide open race. And I have a hard time giving it to somebody in, in the Eastern conference. I, I think, you know, we've seen the memorable moments we've seen the, you know, the narrative statistically, that was another part of the formula. Dame has those clutch time stats and he's also what 30 and a half and eight assists, which is just, incredible over 40% from three or I think he's 38.5. So damn near 40% from three. If he can just get the blazers, maybe to a top four seed, like it's going to be tough to, to keep him out of that. Like, I think right now at his current level of play, you can pencil him in as a a first team, all NBA player without it. He's got to be that first guard and that you can have all the others fight for that second. But how do you realistically think? Because I think we, me in particular, look at it more from a bias point of view for the MVP, but looking at it um, objectively, he's got a chance, right? Or do Absolutely. you think it's more of, okay. Um, I remember looking at this, this might've been before LeBron, but it was, it was a, it was Joker, LeBron. Uh, you know what? Let me look at the odds. I I know that Joker probably is the main competition now. So if I, I if I was to place a bet, I might just go with Dame because it's a guard and he has the ball in his hands more. But yeah, I think it's two Northwest Division uh, you know, superstars going at it for the MVP. I mean, why I haven't bet for it is I'm too impatient and I want either to know that I lost money today. Or I get made money today. The MVP is so far along. Like um, I know, 
I, I mean, it, it's got to be one of those two. It can't, you can't give it to LeBron when he's hurt. You can't give it to Giannis for a third time, even though he's playing a lot better than he did in the first two. Like, it's got to be one of those two guys. And I think all of the narrative is going towards uh, Damian Lillard for that for that spot. So I, maybe I do need to put like a you know a little fifty spot on it, but. It, well, the last I checked, and I think this was before LeBron went down, Dame was like 21 to 1 odds, like really out there. Like pe- the, the betting apps had him still as a, as a dark horse, so to speak. Um, yeah, if, if that seems like a good, good call to me. Um, I'm I, looking at it right now. Okay, so number one, Joker. Number two, James. Number three, uh, Joel. Four, Giannis. Five, James. Six Steph, Luca's seventh, Dame's eight, and Kawhi's nine. So it's plus twenty one hundred. That is straight up disrespectful. Yeah, plus twenty one hundred according to sportsbetting.com. Sportsbettingdime.com. So I, I think that it has to be Dame. Dame has to go up. If if let's let's check the Oregon. Let's check the scoreboard app right now. See what Oregon has to say about this. Because if it is like that. Man, that's like hitting a GPP in daily fantasy, my guy. Might have to drop some money on that. It can't it can't be LeBron. He's gonna miss major minutes. It can't be JoJo because he's he's is legitimately injured now. But he's also took those maintenance days. He's taken a lot of maintenance days. So it has to be one of uh the two Northwest guys. Dame is plus 900 on the regular season MVP on Sports App at uh, 10.20 p.m. on March 21st. So the plus 900. Are, plus 950. Yeah. Probably a, a better bet to place it elsewhere where you can win you more money. You can't, unfortunately. So since we're talking awards, does LaMelo Ball's injury, because he's out, of the, out for the year now, does that negatively affect his uh, chances at Rookie of the Year now? Yes, because... It, it it wasn't a I wouldn't say it was a contested race. He was the the clear front runner, but I don't think it's a year like when Joel Embiid. Uh, I think he played in his third year because he was out his first two, and it, uh, he, it ended up being between him and Malcolm Brogdon. And Malcolm Brogdon didn't really wow a lot of people, but Embiid just missed so much time that you couldn't realistically give it to someone else. Um, it's not even like a year when Zion got hurt. Um, because you had, you had John Morant who was playing so damn good. Mm. You have LaMelo who was the clear front runner, but you still have guys like, you know, Tyrese Halliburton has been battling injuries, but he's, he showed promise. Anthony Edwards has taken his game to the next level. And if he continues at that play, that's going to be a shoe. And that's going to be a no brainer. Uh, but if you see guys like those are the two, those are the two, nobody else is really in, in the conversation uh, in my opinion, Wiseman's missed quite a bit of time as well. Uh, quickly can't, start. Quickly can't yeah, play minutes on the Knicks team right now because of Tibbs. Right now, barring an Anthony Edwards injury, it's his his award to to lose. That's a damn shame because I thought Lamelo was easily the best rookie of this class, and I know Ant because he of, still is. Yeah, I know Ant because of all of the injuries and stupidity of that. Uh, he's getting that extra that extra responsibility of playmaking. That's such a damn shame about LaMelo. He was playing so well. He was starting to get, he was starting to start play major minutes. Like 
there could have been a reality that the, uh, the the Hornets and the Magic traded one of the guards for uh, the Hornets for Voose or something. Like now, that takes a lot of things away since Lamelo can't play. <laughs> I rhymed. All right, Sage, we have three fan questions. Two of them align with uh, topics that I already wanted to get into. So let's get into that right away. Um, this first one, though, came to me, and it's something I've been thinking about. It wasn't something I intended on talking about, but I ha- it has been on my mind. It comes from Justin underscore B underscore leak. It says, Blazers Twitter seems really miserable lately. It's, e- it's, e- it's either fire sauce slash trade CJ or this is the greatest team ever, and how dare you criticize? How can we get back to just having crazy takes and wild opinions while having a good time and remembering we all love the same team? I love this question. So I'm handling this as, bro, I don't know what this person's going through. If they need to vent about the Blazers, I'm just going to let them vent. I... It, it sometimes it's very annoying to see it, but I yo I don't know the struggles of this person. Maybe this is the way they have to vent shit out. I hope everything. Uh, I hope we we compete in the playoffs and do really well. And I think that will make Rip City Twitter a more uh, peaceful place to be a part of. Because right now it's a lot of negativity. It's a lot of a lot of people bitching about the other uh, side. It's like, I, I, I kind of talked to you about this. It's like the hip hop debate, you know, old heads versus the new heads. And it's kind of the same in Blazers Twitter. I'm going to be 30 in three days. I should not give a shit about what seven, 17 year old or 18 year old kid thinks about the team. It's like, yo, like whether it be hip hop or Blazers, I should not be tweeting and spending all my time thinking about some 18-year-old who doesn't give a shit about me. So I'm I'm just going to let them cook. It just keep don't just don't be toxic about it. Like I've seen some crazy shit. Just don't be toxic. If you want to talk if you want to talk about the Blazers, I'm there. I think there's a lot of immaturity on on all parties. I think there's a lot of antagonizing and and egging on. Uh you see it on a daily basis, whether it's the Blazers have a bad defensive quarter and it's like, oh my God, Terry Stotts is the worst coach ever. You see Dame bail us out and we we win down 17 with, with, with six minutes to go. And people are like, oh, well, going to fire Terry now? And it's like, quit. Like, you're not adding anything to the conversation. You, you're not being funny. You're not being cute. It, it's old. Like, I want to have real debates. Like, I don't like Terry Stotts. I don't think he is a championship level coach. If he doesn't get us a decent spot in, in the postseason or, or postseason run, I am more than wanting him and annual to bounce. Like it's time for a change. I don't need to be saying that every single tweet, every single game, there's time and place to express, you know, that opinion. And it's also important to be respectful. Like I know a lot of my followers really like Terry. And so that's why I'm kind of careful about what I say and like mm-hmm. ne- never bash the person um, who's, who's tweeting or actually Terry Stotts is a human being. So like, you're not complaining about him as a person, just like, man, I wonder why he's doing that here. Or just like, it's okay to be critical and it's okay to be positive. But 
I don't think you can always be positive and always be critical. Like that's why I love this podcast with me and you is because we tell it like it is. We are positive when it calls to be positive and we're critical when, when the team is critical. I think this episode is a classic case of that. We fucked up against the Dallas Mavericks and looked like absolute dog shit. Mm. We called them out for that. But why, why would we have that tone for the entire episode when we had three really good ass wins in some historical performances from our franchise's best player. So you got to hype that up too. So I think it's, it's just no different than anything in life. And it's the same thing with, with topics all around. And I think, I think people just like to piss people off and you know what, honestly on Twitter muting has been very key for me. Um, Sometimes I try and change the conversation or the topic or flat out just unfollow someone like if if it's bugging your timeline get rid of it like there there's there should mm. be no hurt feelings there like the timeline is for you not, not to make other uh, not not to make other people feel better so um i've cleaned up my timeline quite a bit i still see it a little bit and i kind of just have to roll my eyes um but it is what it is and ultimately you have the power to to kind of change what what's on your feed and you know, hopefully the Holy Backboard and our personal accounts are something that, that you're enjoying. You know, we try to bring, uh, you know, just, just realness to, to the Blazers community. And, you know, for the most part, like we're pretty damn positive. Like we love this franchise so much, but you know, they're not perfect. And so, you know, kind of have to talk about like, okay, how can we get better? Like until we get that ring, all we should be striving to, to get better balance too you can't be you can't be critical 100 percent of the time yikes that's a <clears throat> that's a difficult thing to be man um that's why i complete there all my socials are very weird so I, I like it i'm very positive on twitter um i only post about hip-hop and pandas on my instagram so anybody that's been rocking with me for 10 years has seen a lot of shit but uh yeah that's a i've I hope that it gets it gets better, man, because yeah, it, it's been a really rough uh, to witness some of the stuff being said. Yeah. Yep. And like I said, like. Clean up that timeline. It, it'll be good for you. Like, it'll mm. be good for your experience. So if it's happening out in the Twitterverse, you don't need to be seeing that. But we do have a, another question. It was a topic that I've been wanting to get to. But, you know, Sage, we ramble so damn much. We got so much to talk about. We We love to keep these episodes how long that is the the holy backboard uh if that's what we're known for i, I love it but we're finally, we're finally getting no we got a lot of shit to talk we've been doing this for a long time five years six years six years yeah that's crazy the question so thank you for at w kelly johns wants to know if we added lamarcus via buyout whose minutes are impacted the most and what about after Nurkic is back? So there is a lot to unpack there. I want you to answer that question, Sage. So that is, if we added LaMarcus via buyout, whose minutes are impacted? And what about after Nurkic is back and fully healthy? So let's talk about that. And then we'll go into whether we think LaMarcus would be a good fit here in Portland. So um, I'll, I'll toss it over to you. So... Since it's, but I am unwilling to trade for Lamarcus. It's too much. Yes, in, in any of these scenarios, and from most reports, it seems like it's going to be buyout. So if it's a buyout, I feel like, all right, 
let's talk about little Marcus Aldridge's year this year. He has gone from, you told me that he was a below average rebounder in Portland. And I looked and he had like a 24% rebounding rate. He has like a 8% rebounding rate in San Antonio. So we're talking about a guy that is entirely scoring dependent. We have so many of those. <laughs> but if it's a buyout, I'm willing to take a chance on LaMarcus because he can score. He has shown the ability to score. Not really this mu- that much this year, but he has shown the ability to score. And I think it'd be nice to get a punch off the bench. So if we, si- if we signed him tomorrow, he's taking all of uh, Robert Covington's five minutes. Because he can't play the four, really. So when Ennis goes out, LaMarcus would go in, and that would probably be the extent of the rotations. It'd be 48 minutes of Ennis and LaMarcus. And then when Nurk comes back, holy shit, I don't know, because Ennis needs his minutes. Carmelo's going to get his minutes. Robert Covington needs his minutes. It's kind of a cluster. So I, I don't know what would happen. It, it, when Nurk comes back, it would screw everything up, and we don't know how fast Nurk is going to get in. So, I think he would kind of be a matchup dependent player if uh, when Nurk comes back. And I know that's a crazy thing to think about with Lamarcus Aldridge, but he hasn't played well this year. He really hasn't. He's been scoring dependent. Usage rate's the same. He's just not scoring. He's just not assisting, rebounding, and doing anything. And He's letting guys like Lonnie Walker the third and Keldon Johnson out rebound him. So I don't know, man. Put Lamar- some respect on Lonnie Walker the fourth. The, the name, fourth, please, please, and thank you. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough. Like San Antonio was a really weird. Like Jakob Pertl outplayed him. I mean that it's not the same Lamarcus from twenty fourteen. Yeah. This is not twenty fourteen Lamarcus. This is 2021. That's there seven there years. are no more Omer Ashiks out there that can can defend him, and he can kind of go around them on the perimeter. He is not a power forward. He is a center. So a you bad answered, rebounding center. Yes. I, so I think you answered the question just just as I would have answered it as well. I think he takes Covington's small ball five minutes away, and then it, he becomes a matchup dependent matchup dependent player once Nurkic is is back and healthy. But I want to get to the point now where do you think this is even a a good idea to bring in LaMarcus Aldridge? Because I have thoughts. I know you have thoughts. God damn, I have seen your thoughts. In our private Top Shot threads, you have told me your thoughts. And, ooh, baby. So, I I mean, it's kind of about... I would be willing to take a chance on LaMarcus. He might win us a game or two. Um, if he, if he's trying to be a minimum player and come off the bench and he's willing to accept that role, sure. Why not? But you can't expect him to be the Marcus Aldridge of old. I think it would be a disastrous pickup. And I'm not saying this as someone who is not a Marcus fan. I am not a Marcus Aldridge fan. Um, putting that out there for complete transparency if he filled any sort of a void or a need, I would be the first one to say, I forgive you, LaMarcus. Let's, you know, let bygones be bygones. Come back home. LaMarcus doesn't do that. We already have a pretty solid center rotation with Yusuf Nurkic and Ennis Cantor. I would argue Ennis Cantor is the best backup center in the league. 
LaMarcus, you said it. He's scoring dependent. We don't need any more isolation players that can get – we don't really need any more people that can get us buckets. We're pretty good on getting buckets. We have problems stopping other teams from getting buckets. We have problems rebounding the basketball. So if you're playing LaMarcus, not only is he going to be not helping us board, that's probably not going to be with Ennis. So you're going to all yeah, of you Ennis couldn't play those two together. Absolutely. No. Not. And then are you really going to want to play LaMarcus and Carmelo together on the defensive end of the floor? I mean, people bitch and complain, rightfully so, about our historically bad defense. It would be an absolute disaster with with LaMarcus Aldridge. And I think the most important point of why I don't think it would work, and I actually thought about this, uh, Olga and I went for a walk around the neighborhood today. I think it would be very reminiscent of when Portland added Rod Strickland to the 2001 team. At that time, uh, the Blazers were first in the Western Conference, but they were loaded. Um, God, we had like 12 guys who all needed minutes. And, and Rod Strickland was that tipping point where Greg Anthony and Damon Stoudemire didn't know when they were going to play, how many minutes they were going to get. And it just threw the locker room out of whack. And that team was was already kind of teetering on greatness or destruction. And that kind of put us over the edge. And we fell to seventh, got swept by the Lakers. It was a disaster. I think LaMarcus would have that same effect on us. Not saying that our personalities are that volatile, as was the 2001 team. But if you look at why this team and really teams under Damian Lillard have worked is there's no ego team falls in line under Dame. Dame is the unequivocal leader of this franchise. CJ is the number two and it falls in line. We already have a, I would say a big ego in Carmelo Anthony. He is a great teammate, but he still commands a lot of respect and he still gets the benefit of the doubt. He may not be the best defender. He may not take the best shots but he's Carmelo Anthony. I don't think you can have another former great come into the team. And then now you're, now you're living with LaMarcus taking ISOs and LaMarcus not rebounding. And then what message does that send to the team when you've got Ennis Cantor, who is a fabulous role player? He, he has, he's already talking about coming back to the bench when, when Nurkic gets back. He's already talked about being the best backup big in, in basketball. Like he knows his role. He embraces his role. I don't think LaMarcus Aldridge is going to embrace any sort of that role. And then I would feel for Terry Stotts having to juggle the, the egos. And, and I'm not saying that makes LaMarcus a bad person, but when you're a former all-star caliber player and to come to a situation where you now may be a matchup dependent player, how are you going to respond Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's going to be very difficult. Like Carmelo Anthony already talked about how difficult it was for him to come off the bench. I, I just think that's too much for, for Portland to deal with. And then you've got all of the, the history that comes back. Yes, that, that was going to be a question I was going to ask. How do you think LaMarcus, like LaMarcus at one point in time was the alpha to Dame? How is he going to go from being the alpha to the beta? That's got to like, like NBA players egos have to be all time high. Will he be mature enough to be like, all right, Dame, you're the boss. Even though like, you know, a decade ago he was the boss. Like how is that going to work out for him? And how do you look at it from Damian Lillard's perspective? Like, is he going to defer at any point to Marcus? Try to welcome him back. Be like, okay, we're going to run some sets through you when it shouldn't be like Dame needs that Dame needs to be the alpha. And I think he is, but there may be some like 
weird feeling out moments like okay we're we're cool now but are we really cool um mm-hmm. we had some history like i th- there's just too many questions to answer in a condensed season with zero practices um yeah while to go, we're competing like, it, too yeah it, it's like you go back to a job and you were a manager and then you know you leave for a better what you thought was a better opportunity and you come back to that same job and now you're maybe like you're just just a regular employee how are you going to handle you know taking somebody else's advice taking yeah, someone's it, instruction we're humans, we're humans yeah. man i i think for lamarcus's sake and i think for portland's sake he goes elsewhere um mm. that that would be it's a lot less complicated if he goes anywhere else there's so much history like do you think if he went to he probably Miami. wants to compete Miami. Do you really think that he's going to have a ego issue with Jimmy and Bam and Iggy? Like, nah, no, he's there's no history know. there. Yeah. There's no history. So history makes things complicated. Um, All right, Sage. Another question from Berlacious underscore M. And as soon as I got this, I sent it to you because I was pretty stoked about it. Mm-hmm. The trade deadline is Thursday, March 25th. So we're T minus about four days until the deadline. Uh, Berlacious wants to know, what are your trade scenarios? Break them down into dream trade, best realistic trade, and potential bummer trade. So have you given this some thought? We'll we'll do it in tiers. We'll each give our our dream trade, then we'll talk realistic, and then we'll talk what what trades would kind of put us into uh, Sadville. So I haven't come up with my exact trades. I've come up with concepts that I think would work on all sides. For sure. Okay. So, do you want to go realistic first? Dream. Let's start that dream. All right. Let's dream big. All right. Anthony Simons for LeBron James. Let's get it. No. Um. It's t- what, what? What was your dream scenario? I focused a lot on the reality. So, dream scenario. I really just focused on players and and not really what we could give up. Uh, dream scenario for me. And I kept it kind of realistic because, yeah, I, I don't think like another James Harden type of player is going to be on the market. So I kind of focused on Eastern Conference teams who, whether it's just performance or injury, whatever, are kind of under underperforming expectations. And so I, I looked at, at two teams, Indiana and Toronto. Oh, I thought so, you were going to go to Detroit. No, my my dream would be, you know, we, we call up and, hey, can we get us a, a Pascal Siakam? Can we get a Demonis Sabonis? Can we get a 4-5 that can defend, can play, make, can shoot, can be a consistent force in the middle? That's the dream for Dane. Like, mm-hmm. if we can get one of those two players and they kind of fit in, I clearly, I, I don't think it would happen. I would give up anybody but Dame or CJ. You make that's that to me is a is a true big three. If you can get two all stars and have CJ, if CJ is your third of your big three, mm-hmm. you're doing something right. And Pascal is a proven winner. He's won at a championship level. Uh, Sabonis, I, I think that the sky is is the limit for him. He's still getting better. And both of those players rebound well. They defend well. And they pass well. That, that's what this team needs and a little bit of ball movement. Um, so that that would be my 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 dream scenario is to nail uh to to, to grab one of those two players. I think I mean those have to be two major options. I would throw in Jeremy Grant as somebody. I know that he has been being shopped around um really hard right now, actually. Um 
I've been hearing in New Orleans that uh, David Griffin doesn't want what the Clippers can give him. They want them to shop for Jeremy Grant. And uh, it would be a three-team trade with Lonzo going to the Clippers. So I know that Jeremy's being shopped. Um, I would honestly add Vucevic to that tier. I know he's older, but I think that his game would Vucevic match. Vucevic re- into dream trade? Wow. I really like, uh, yo, you know I have a thing for Vuce. So I, I think that he would be the best pick and roll center that Dame's ever worked with. And he uh, adds the passing just like Sabonis and uh, and uh, Pascal. So I, I would I would put, I would add those two to the dream scenario. Obviously, I would love to get Bam out of Bayou or something, but I don't think uh, Miami's giving that up. No. All right. Who's some of your realistic options? I think that this, this is a legitimate thing. I know that Neil Shea has loved and pined for Aaron Gordon for a long time. It's no secret. It's going to be a three-team trade because I don't think that Orlando particularly values what we have in terms of guards. I think that they need to find guards. There's a team in Memphis that has a surplus of guards. So I would think that it's going to be a three-way team trade between uh, Memphis, Portland, and Orlando. We get Aaron Gordon and give up Rodney Hood and a future first and probably something else. Uh, Orlando gets whatever the Hood and that first, and then they also get uh, uh, Melton, the Anthony Melton from uh, the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies get like a first and then they can finally play as a team because they are uh, they have too much talent. So that's kind of what I think of a realistic trade would be. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. So clearly um, trade season is the, the trade wins are a blowing and usually Neil Olshay's trades come out of the blue. However, he does have a, a knack for getting his guys, whether it's a year or two down the road, you go down the list of, you know, he coveted Mario Hazonia. He ended up signing him. Um, Robert Covington, he's been after mm-hmm. it, it, Carmelo Anthony. Him. I mean, mm-hmm. he ends up getting, I feel like, I feel like uh, Roy Hibbert and uh, Greg Monroe were like the two, the two that got away from Neil Olshay. Yeah. Usually he ends up bringing them back to Portland and, and Portland has been rumored to be, it was rumored that they offered the same package to Orlando that they did to Houston for, for Robert Covington and the magic turned it down. I mean, there's just been so many rumors with with Mm. Aaron Gordon. Um, I am fascinated by Gordon. He is 25 years old. He is not locked into a long-term contract. He's under contract at the same timeline as Nurkic and Covington. So he's under contract for this year and next. He can play both the three and the four. He's got his three-point percentage up over 40%. Um, He's athletic. He can also make decisions. Yeah, he's he's a decent playmaker. So what do you think his role is? Do you think he starts, comes off the bench? What do you think? The- no, no, no. You, you trade for Aaron Gordon. You got Covington and Gordon as your, as your forwards and your as your five. And then you really, so if, if you get, I think in a dream world, Draymond Green is the guy that, that the Blazers go after. I, I know Damian Lillard loves Draymond. Mm. That's, that's the guy you want. He's not only a defensive coach on the floor. Play mix really, like, really well. He, He's a playmaker. He's the heart and soul. That player is not on the trade market. Everyone needs that player. And we saw how valuable Draymond Green is during the Warriors championship runs. The Blazers need to ask themselves one question. 
how are you going to win in the playoffs when teams throw the kitchen sink at your starting guards? That That's it. We, we've seen a little bit of what happens in the regular season, but it's going to be an absolute onslaught of teams throwing everything possible at Dame and at CJ to say, we'll let Covington, we'll let DJ, we'll let Nurkic, Carmelo, anybody else take the lion's share of the shots. We want to make life absolutely miserable for your guards. Portland's won a couple of games here and there, and even in the postseason, you know, get, getting hot. We've seen Aminu and Harkless get hot. We've also lost games because mm. Aminu and Harkless were shooting too much and aren't consistently good shooters. So back to Draymond. You're not going to find that player, but you need to find what qualities can you pull from other players out there. And I think with Aaron Gordon, he may not be the defensive stalwart or the defensive coach or even the heart and soul that, that Draymond is but he can make good decisions with the basketball. And that's what Portland has lacked for the for, for nine years since the Damian Lillard tenure took over is a player that can make the defense pay when it becomes a four on three or a three on two scenario when the defense blitzes, blitzes Dame. So you're basically getting the ball three point line, foul line extended, and you need that player to make a decision in the bat of an eye. Are they going to take it to the rack? Are they going to kick it out to a shooter? Are they going to watch for the cutter? Gordon, for the most part, is a, is a good, good, solid option to plug and play and make defenses pay because if you make them pay, then Dame's going to get single coverage and he is absolutely lethal and you're not going to be able to defend him. So that's what Portland needs to address. And that's why I'm, I'm pretty high on, on getting a player like, like Gordon. And you also have to look at the fact that, yeah, he's a 14-point-per-game scorer and you could maybe watch him and say, I don't know if he has that much of an impact on the game. Ask yourself. One, does Orlando have a history of not getting the potential out of their players? Yes. Two, who has he even played with as a lead guard in Orlando? No one. No, no one. So Do you think life becomes a little bit easier playing with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum? So this is my opinion on um, Aaron Gordon. I don't see him as a starting caliber player. I, I see him as the sixth man that is kind of uh the the secondary option playmaking so with me like i i know I, that was my realistic trade with a three-teamer i don't particularly want it because i don't value aaron gordon as high as a lot of people it's just for me he's the type of dude that got picked really high when he plays at his best he's going to be the sixth or the seventh man and i don't want to you know i don't want to trade a lot for a guy that's getting paid more than a sixth or seventh man guy can get. So I think it probably will happen, but I, I don't value Aaron as high as a lot of people. Cause I've watched way too much Orlando in my, in my life. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's it- I, I, you are correct. And you definitely have more experience watching him play. I just go back to the fact that whether it's Victor Oladipo, Tobias Harris, Shabazz Napier, Maurice Harkless, it seems like everybody that just gets out of that, that organization flourishes and people players tend to flourish in the Terry Stotts, Damian Lillard system. So that's where I roll the dice there. And you also have to be realistic. What assets are we looking to trade? We've got Rodney Hood's contract. We've got Zach Collins's contract. You maybe throw Derek Jones out in there to use as a contract filler. I don't don't think Derek and he can play at the same time. They're yeah. so similar. Si- Simons is a decent young piece. And Trent, so, you know, let's let's remove the rose-colored glasses. 
Gary Trent Jr. is a fine prospect. He's he's not the end all be all. He is he's a really solid player, but th- that's our best trade chip. So you have to be. This is why this is a realistic trade because you have to be kind of aware of what we have to offer. Um, so the only way I'll be upset if we trade for Aaron Gordon, honestly, is if we trade Nasir Little. I, I, oh, that, I would, keep, that would break your. That would be breaking your achy breaky heart for sure. I just think by the time next year rolls around, he's going to be ready to contribute possibly even as a starter. So unless you're getting, unless you're getting that, that Pascal or, or the Monus Sabonis, but let's keep Nasir, you know, in, in our rotation, let's get him some good playoff minutes. Um, I think he's a player that if you want to go all in on, let's fucking go all in on whether that's development or trading for a star. Don't, don't do it for a fringe player. Mm. Um, I, I think that the biggest thing for me is what do we do? We talked about this last episode, Sage. What do we do with, with Gary Trent Jr.? Because we either have to trade him right now or be prepared to give him 15 to $20 million. Yeah. As um, the best trade ship, you cannot let him walk. True. I don't, again, this might be my bias against Aaron Gordon, but I, I, I think that Gary Trent is more versatile and would help this team more than Aaron Gordon. So I again this is me talking. I wouldn't trade Gary for Aaron. There's Who plenty would you of trade players. Hmm. I would go one step above Aaron Gordon. I'd want a starting I would want someone that I consider a starting caliber forward. And I, I think that when Aaron Gordon is best utilized by a really smart team, he's the sixth man that's a ball hawking wing, kind of like a DJJ. So I would want a starting caliber wing. Um, yeah, I just think the Blazers need to be really self-aware and smart. Long term, I don't know if you're going to be able to play long stretches with Dame, CJ, and Gary on the defensive end of the floor. Um, after tonight, I would be willing to agree with you. But that's yeah, a they, that's they, a that's a special case of Luka Doncic being. But that's a team a you boost. can run into in the playoffs. Absolutely. I mean, you you look though. So is is Aaron team, Gordon every, in your eyes a playoff player? Like, is he going to get played off the floor? We don't know. He's never made the postseason. True. I, I don't but know. That's, I I want the Blazers. So one, I don't want to trade Gary just to trade Gary. Yeah. But I do think we as fans need to kind of take a step back and say, we love Gary. Yes. But what are we here for? We're here to win for Dame. We only have so many years left Mm. with Dame at this level. You got to do whatever it takes to get that man a championship, because to be honest, he deserves it more than, more than us. Like Mm. he, he does, he is rip city. Like Damian Lillard, has been an absolute godsend for this franchise. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Neil Olshay is going to have to make some uncomfortable decisions. And whether that's offering up for maybe like a John Collins, and you're, you're offering Gary as, because you can match contracts, because they're both, you know, restricted free restricted, agents next yeah. year. Um, or in a bigger package. And I'm not saying Aaron Gordon is that deal to make. But if we do keep Gary, we need to have a plan for the offseason. And whether that's moving CJ or sign and trading Gary or whatever. I, I don't think you can have a hundred million dollars in salary between those three players because they can't all play along 
side of each other. Uh, the one, another realistic trade that I like, and I know you're going to hate is Lonzo ball. Okay. And so, here's, here's what, here's what I'll say. I know one of your rebuttals is you're going to have to pay Lonzo next year. And I a hundred percent agree, which is why I think Gary Trent would have to be a part of some trade because you can't have Lonzo and Gary as restricted free agents. No, you that's, that's going to have us going into cap hell. But why I like Lonzo is one, his three point percentage has, has gotten better. He is a viable option from downtown, but his height allows you to play alongside Damon CJ. He is a better defender and he can run an offense when Damon or CJ are taking their breaks. I don't think he is a perfect player. I know you have your biases towards him because he is on your, your favorite team. And I uh, no, 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 no. I've created two hundred. I've created two hundred thirty-one episodes of the Holy Backboard. Blazers are my favorite team. Okay, I love that. That that you're you're starting to win even more of my heart than you already have. But I I think we were talking about Draymond and and finding you know pieces of him. I like Lonzo better than Aaron Gordon as a fit because of his playmaking ability. And I know he may not make the the correct read all the time, but he had sixteen assists. Uh, against us that first night, like he's he can do it. I think he's getting better, and I would love to see him play alongside guards like like Damon CJ. Like who has he played with in in the backcourt in his career? D'Angelo Russell and Eric Bledsoe, mm, Drew Holiday too. Drew, okay. So, but my but, my thing about Lonzo Ball as somebody that's watched him a lot is that he's really good at certain things like his visions unparalleled. He's a very, he has vision, but I don't think he has IQ. So he throws some weird passes for Lonzo. I think that he has, he has, he has pluses. He just has glaring negatives. I think what he needs is a perfect scenario. And I don't know if Portland is the perfect scenario for him to, uh, be all that Lonzo Ball could be. If he's willing to be the the backup uh, one that can play some three, I don't I hate would, it as much as... I would start as, him in mine. I would start him with the three and let him be the backup okay, one. Okay, so he plays the first six minutes, goes off the goes to the bench, and then plays the one? Yep, when Dame goes, yep. Yeah, so I don't hate it as much as you think it. I hate it. I hate, it. I hate uh, Lonzo Ball for the Pelicans. For the Blazers, I'm willing to discuss that trade. Um, I think that he would help a lot of thing, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of scenarios. I just don't know if I'm willing to pay him what I think he's going to get paid. So I would hate to trade Gary Trent for someone that I don't know if we're going to resign because it seems like a very luxurious uh, trade. A luxurious oh, in this in this scenario, like you, you, if you trade for him, you have to pay him. Like there's no way I'm giving up Gary. How much are you willing to pay Lonzo Ball? The same amount as I would pay Gary. Okay, I, like, I think that Lonzo a, probably would make more just because guard, you know, and second pick overall. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Um, I just want if, if it happens, I would like to see a plan, and if it doesn't work, in it's obvious it doesn't work. I don't want to put money and kick the can down the road but i am willing to to to, if that was a trade i'd be bummed for a second and then i would buy alonzo ball top shot and feel a lot better because i know the value would rise 
so I, I i don't hate it as much as i thought i would because it does make sense and he can do he can fulfill a lot of things so what would the trade to new orleans be gary trent what let's let's bring up this trade machine really quick because we got to look because lonzo as the second pick clearly makes quite a bit of money so Lonzo Ball makes uh, just over $11 million. So I think in any trade the Blazers are making, Rodney Hood is going out. His, his value is in his contract. It's not in his production. The second year of his 10-year, excuse me, his $10 million contract is completely non-guaranteed. So you're essentially trading for a, an expiring contract in, in New Orleans's case. So yeah, it, it, in my opinion, it would probably have to be, you know, Rodney Hood, Gary Trent, and that, that would be the starting point. And then you kind of go from there. Yeah, you probably have to give up a second or something. I, I honestly think that would be a good enough trade for the Pelicans to accept. I know that um, I know that Griff has players in mind that he wants to get. And if if Gary Trent is one of those guys that he covets, I think that that trade would actually happen. Um, I'm shocked that I worked my way through the bias of what I think of Lonzo Ball. But as the third playmaker, it's a lot different than the first. I think that he is better as a small forward than a point guard. So yeah. he could, and in it, theory, be a team's Draymond Green. Because he can play defense, he can play make. Hit some, he hits threes better than Dre. He won't ever have the leadership of Dre, but he's going to play pretty damn good defense. It's just, you know, it, it's a different thing playing as a small forward versus a point. So And it's it's so crazy seeing this Blazer team when they play defense because they have the firepower on offense to completely just deflate teams with with their shooting, with their playmaking. Offense, they're going to go through some sputters because they do rely on the three-point shot. Do you think Ant would have to be involved in that trade? If they want. I mean, just because if if New Orleans wants him, but New Orleans also has uh, Kyra and they're looking to, to... and I think that this so, yeah, I mean, this, if, if they, this trade would help New Orleans because if Kyra Lewis is as good as people think he is and if Nas as good as people think he is, wouldn't it be a better idea for them to try and play those two players start? more than Lonzo? I mean, it makes sense. Do you want Eric Bledsoe as well? No, no, thank you. No, <laughs> that, that would be a, a... So to the third part of the question is a, a bummer trade. Um, I don't know if I have a bummer trade out there. Um, Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> Eric Bledsoe would, would be a bummer for me. Um, buying out LaMarcus and bringing him in would be a, a big-time bummer for me as reasons that I've already stated. If we gave up Nasir Little and I'm not thrilled with that player we're getting in return, I think that has a good chance of being Jermaine O'Neal 2.0, so that would bum me out. Um, I'm trying to think, Sage. I, I don't know. Right now, not making a trade. Not making a trade would would bum me out um the, the neil so jason quick has kind of alluded to in his uh atlantic kind of mailbags that, that he does if terry Stotts doesn't get out of the first round that, that he's gone i think neil O'Shea is also gming for his job as as well too many times in the past i think the 17 18 season we had a big exception we did nothing with it and we, it, we could have really used it in that new orleans series rafe lafrance right if we want to that go was back. Kevin Pritchard. I know, that was, that was Kevin who? Pritchard. But yes, absolutely. 
but you saw what he did in 2019 when Ennis Cantor came in the buyout market. We had a roster spot available, trading uh, Nick Stauskas and Wade Baldwin for Rodney Hood. Those type of moves, and when you're so jumbled up in the Western Conference, and this is probably going to be maybe the best buyout market we've ever seen, if, if you don't have the wherewithal to keep a roster spot open or to make a trade to help your team get over the hump, your competitor is going to do that. And so what would what would once be a close race, now you're one to two legs behind with very little chance of catching up. So Portland needs to view this Western Conference as wide open. And the reason, so if you would have asked me maybe Saturday or Friday, if we make a trade or, or if we don't make a trade, are you bummed? Probably, yeah, but not as much now. When, when LeBron goes down and Anthony Davis is already battling you a tough injury. you got to push to the table. You've got to mm-hmm. go on. The you know, as a gambler, when you Clay have, Thompson, too. Yeah, when you're a gambler and you see an edge, you have to push your chips to the table. Because finding edge and gambling and GMing a basketball team is so precious that you pro- you have to do it. So I agree that uh, getting a doing absolutely nothing would be a bummer. Um, I would love to see if we can make a trade around a guard that's not getting any run in New York. I think Austin Rivers would be a really nice backup point guard. My my dream buyout, not Lamarcus, George Hill, George Hill mm-hmm. from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, that I think honestly, and this may be. People may think it's hyperbole that a player like George Hill could elevate this team so much. I, I really do think George Hill is a is the type of player that takes you from not advancing to advancing in, in a round. Like having him run an offense for six to seven minutes at a time. 14 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. He was the NBA's three-point leading shooter at one point last season in Milwaukee. Um, he plays uh, – decent defense like he's a veteran he's he's been there he's done that like that's you he's gotta average. keep like he's that, better, that, i think he's better than average i think he's, he's an average nba player like and that's going to help us immensely if you can find someone that's good i, I guess case in point look at rodney hood he won us a couple of games in that Denver series. Yeah, I think George Hill has the ab- capabilities to do that too. Yes, Easy. we do not beat the Denver Nuggets without Rodney Hood, and that was a we traded two minimum contracts for a player who was falling out of flavor for a lottery bound Cavaliers team. Like it is Neil O'Shea's job to put the best roster possible. What I've seen so far this year with the Portland Trailblazers, there is plenty of room for improvement. So if he rests on his laurels. I think he that that hot seat's going to be, be heating up. Um, the yeah, time is now. Absolutely, you, you you can't just sit on your hands. Um, those were all the questions that we had, Sage. Why really don't good we questions. preview this? Really good question. So thank you for for all of those. Uh, we have got four games upcoming. Obviously, it's going to be hot and heavy this this stretch run of of the season with games damn near every other day. The homestand, the finale is Tuesday against the the Brooklyn Nets. Then Portland heads down south to the Sunshine State for a a, a long road trip that culminates with with Detroit. We'll talk about Detroit next week, but the three games we'll talk about this week, Thursday against the Miami Heat, Friday against the Orlando Magic, and Sunday against the Toronto, a.k.a. St. Pete Raptors. 
Sage, let's talk about the the Brooklyn Nets first. Obviously, our Blazers are coming off an embarrassing 40-point loss. Uh, This is a marquee team. You've got James Harden, who's doing James Harden things. The Nets just brought in Blake Griffin, who made his debut, had his first dunk as his first bucket, and that was his first dunk since 2019. Uh, Kevin Durant is still out, but I mean, we saw what James Harden could do with the the Houston Rockets in the second game of the season. He took that game to overtime just with his brilliance, and he's doing the same things in in Brooklyn um, and more. Like this, to me, feels like it's going to be maybe the, the first to, to one thirty. Who, who's going to get it done? Bet the over. Bet the over. Like neither team is going to do anything to stop the other. I would bet the over. I think James Harden in this role is playing at his all-time best. Like he's trying hard. He's on a winning team that could win a championship. He's playing otherworldly right now. Um so we does Brooklyn play a game tonight or tomorrow? They play tonight in Brooklyn, so they're traveling all the way cross coast. All right. So you would assume Kyrie plays. Because on back to backs, he's he's normally out. Um, yeah, I, I think that's going to be an offensive game. Um, so whoever they plays lost tonight, or excuse they? me, they lost fr- they lost Friday in Orlando. Excuse me. Yeah, the, basketball reference hasn't updated, so I'm just going to go to my app right yeah. quick. I knew they were in a close contest. They ended up beating the Wizards at home, one thirteen to one hundred six. Mm. I yeah, I think that. It's going to be a high it's going to be a fast paced, high scoring game. Um obviously James is uh we have to worry about him. Do you think we're gonna employ that diamond strategy defense on James Harden to force Ky- the ball into Kyrie's or J- Jeff Green, Blake Griffin's hands? You can't do that because one, they have a secondary they have a, a more dynamic playmaker in Kyrie Irving than I think the Rockets ever had. And also they have a player who is my defensive X factor in Joe Harris, who absolutely oh, can God, shoot yeah. the shit yeah. out of the basketball. At one point in time, can, he's hitting 50% from three. So why Brooklyn is so difficult to, to defend is you can't really double James or trap, you know, him or Kyrie. James Harden is, is at the, at the last I checked leading the league in assists. So mm. he is one of the best playmakers in, in basketball they have shooters around him. It's almost just like make them take contested shots. I think that the key to beating Brooklyn is keeping them off the foul line, um, not letting them get open looks with their role players. Uh, if you do have to live and die by it, make sure it's, you know, Jeff Green shooting those threes and, and not Bruce Joe Brown. Harris. Yeah, Bruce Brown yeah. or something. Um, yeah, I, it's tough. I think that you got to put your best defender on James Harden and try and Try and make his life as difficult as possible. Put Rob, put DJ, try and have their length be a factor for James. Um, But he's probably the best player in the league at creating creation, like advantage creation. So it's going to be a lot of pressure to put someone on an island. But I think that's kind of how we have to play it. So first per, uh, first team to make like five stops on defense probably is going to win this game i think the blazers win because dame and cj are going to have a very easy matchup 
And I think Dame goes into God mode. I think CJ gets his points. I think Dame gets points and assists, and we win in a shootout like 135 to 125 or something. Yeah, uh, I, I think my X factor is what happened tonight. I think it's the ass kicking we took by the Dallas Mavericks. Knowing you have Brooklyn coming up, you don't want to get embarrassed twice. You don't want to head out on a road trip losing two in a row at home. I think Dame is going to be more aggressive. I think this will be basically a week for CJ McCollum back since his uh, foot injury. I think he's going to have a performance reminiscent to what he did against Dallas the first night on Friday. And if we're looking for somebody else, if he's if he's still on the team, uh, Gary Trent Jr., uh, he does a decent job on on James Harden. And, you know, if if Brooklyn wants to double uh, Dame and if Dame's able to get to get into the paint and kick it out, I'm hoping Gary can can, can light it up. So I think the Blazers win um, and then they head up, they head out on the road. Uh, so we play the Heat, who are playing better basketball. They made a, a really smart trade, shipping off Myers Leonard for Trevor Ariza, who gives them another veteran defensive presence. This will be the first time we're, we played the Heat this year, Sage. Um, what do we have to do to kick off this road trip the right way? So is are we assuming that uh, Tyler Hero and Jimmy and Bam are playing? Every time we predict unless. Yeah, I don't know. Let's yes. Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson haven't been shooting as well, but I think the number one thing you have to worry about is that pick and roll between Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. That's where all the offense comes from. It's those two making decisions out of that, either kicking it to open shooters or taking it for themselves. So I think we have to be really focused on who we allow to shoot. Iggy, you can let shoot all the time or it's a kind of a know your personnel. We have to really focus on playing some very, very good defense against this team. It's going to be a slower paced game. The Heat are one of the slowest teams in the league. So we have to take care of the ball even more so than normal. This is one of those that I, I think that Miami is going to play at their pace. The Blazers have to really just not have as many mental mistakes and taking bad shots. Um, I think that CJ McCollum is going to be the X factor in this game. I, th- I think that the Blazers get this dub against Miami. I think the Portland Trailblazers are playing the Miami Heat at the, at the wrong time. The Heat have just lost their third straight game in a row. They lost back-to-back home games against the Indiana Pacers. They play Phoenix on Tuesday before uh, culminating their homestand against us on Thursday. First game of a road trip, we're flying all the way across country. Um, it happens on trade deadline day. Oh, that's so going to be so awkward. The reason, one of the main reasons I have us losing is I think we make a trade. I think we'll be shorthanded. Um, oh, that's a good, that's a good uh, reason. I also know that Miami has a lot of three-point shooters. We do not do a good job of defending the arc and this is a team where they have the ability to play strong defense. I mean, they've got probably the best defensive big in the game, maybe not named Anthony Davis, who can go out there mm-hmm. and make Dame's life, you know, Actually, tough. Jimmy, but- Jimmy Butler is a, you know, a, just a dog on the, on the perimeter as well. So unless Portland gets secondary help from CJ Rocco, maybe Mello comes in, like you can exploit the heat, but the heat do such a good job in the pick and roll, which is kind of our bugaboo that 
you know, I think it just might be kind of a grinded out game. And I think we want the the pace a little bit up and up and down. So I think we lose in a, in a close, closely contested fight. I think the Heat have the perfect recipe to irritate Damian Lillard. Because let's think back about the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, let's series. not, please, please. So obviously Drew Holiday did his thing defending Dame. But what you have to realize is that they had Anthony Davis and Nikola Vuce, or Nikolai uh, Meritic hedging hard every time. Bam Adebayo can hedge just as hard as uh, Bam and make life difficult for Dame. So it absolutely is possible that Dame has kind of a bad game and we kind of need CJ to uh, do his thing offensively for us to have a chance to win. But I'm still going with the win because screw it. The next game is a back-to-back against the Orlando Magic, who have a, a slew of injuries. Obviously, uh, Mark Fultz and Jonathan Isaac are, are out for the season. Uh, Terrence Ross was listed out for today's game against Boston. Uh, Cole Anthony has a rib injury. Uh, Mo Bamba is out with a hamstring toe injury. Who He did not play against the Celtics as well. So Evan Fournier has a or- soft tissue hamstring injury, too. I don't know if he's healthy. Who knows what this roster looks like? Uh, Will they trade Vucevic? Will they trade Aaron Gordon? Uh, This could also be another team that is in complete disarray. Uh, Portland, excuse me, handled business against the Magic back on February 9th, defeating them 106 to 97. I think we have good bigs to kind of limit what Vucevic wants to do. Ennis Cantor seems to do a pretty decent job. This has to be just a mentality game where you come out and you don't let the Magic have any chance. You, you kind of just say, okay, we're the better team. We're going to show we're the better team, and we're, we're not going to give you any any life. Dame and CJ should really have a field day right here, Sage. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's no defensive presence that should stop them from getting into the paint. So I think Portland wins if they work inside out. And, you know, dribble penetration leads to threes. Now, if they have a game where, okay, we're on the second out of a back-to-back, I'm just going to pass through on the perimeter. Okay, Melo, you ISO. Okay, no, Gary, it's your turn. Oh, CJ, you haven't had a shot in a while. And, and then Dame does the same thing. We're going to lose this game. Mm. Like, we, we've, we've seen Orlando this. Orlando has defenders, too. They have yeah, we, we've seen this before. Mm. So is this a back-to-back but or I, just one? No, this is back-to-back for us because okay. we play Miami the previous night. So it is a short flight. You're staying in the, in the same state, same, same region. Dame traditionally plays really well in Orlando. Uh, it was two seasons ago where he actually got the idea for his heckler uh, shoe series mm. from a fan in Orlando. The Magic do allow fans in the stands. So something about maybe that parquet floor playing in, you know, playing in Orlando. Dame just always seems to He likes to, the to shooting backdrop is what you're yeah, saying. And, and and if if we're pushing Dame for MVP, I think this is a game where Dame needs to carry us, and I think it all kind of follows follow suit for there. But if we're looking for a non Dame X factor, it's going to be my man Ennis Cantor. Uh, he has to be big. He, he's the type of player you love having on the road. He's going to finish around the rim. He's going to keep possessions alive, and I think he's going to do his best to neutralize the other team's best player. So I have the Blazers winning in a game that, you know, to be brutally honest, you're not going to get too many more easier games down the stretch in the season. So you just can't fumble these ones away. I think that we win this game. Uh, So the Toronto Raptors, they are another team that could look completely Completely different. different. 
Uh, there's rumors. Norman Powell, who's averaged, I think, like 29 points per game the last 10, something like that, just out of his mind. He's a free agent this year, so he could be on the move. Miami has been calling nonstop for Kyle Lowry. What will they do there? Like the, the season hasn't gone according to plan uh, for the Toronto Raptors. Spicy P could be on the Blazers. I mean, let's 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 speak that into into existence. But at the moment, the Raptors are just seven, 17 and twenty five, and they would be on the outside looking in, even of the play in. They've lost eight games in a row. This is a team that is not playing in Toronto. They are playing in Saint Petersburg, Florida. So, again, this is another opportunity for the Blazers who they, they had one of their improbable comebacks um, against the Toronto Raptors. This mm-hmm. was one of those games where you have no business winning, but, oh, look, lo and behold, you won the game. Mm. And so we did that. This was all the way back on January 11th, winning 112-111. CJ went crazy in the clutch during this one. Overall, he had 30 on 53% shooting. Dane chipped in 23, 7, and 7. And you get 20 from Carmelo, 14 and 6 from Ennis. If I remember right, this is the game CJ was so hot that Stotts changed the rotations around. I just remember CJ. It's a top shot moment. That's why I remember it. He hit that that pull-up turnaround on Fred Van Vliet to, to give us the go-ahead bucket. Yeah, I think that this was the one game this year where uh, CJ played the entire first and then Dame played the CJ um, in its rotation. These two teams could be so completely different. I, I think the Blazers win because you you don't know what this uh, this opposing team is going to look like. And I believe who who on this Toronto team is untouchable? Fred Van Elite, and that's it? Because Probably. you gotta think, you gotta think of the, the GM too. He's he's the type that will flip somebody if they notices that they're regression regressing. So, I think the Blazers go in a four zero week. Apparently, I am so optimistic. Um, yeah, this team is you, you. You can't project this team until the the deadline's over. There's so many players that are tradable. Like the the people I assume will be on the roster is Fred VanLeet and probably Chris Boucher. Yeah, I think I'll go Blazers win as well. Again, it's crazy to say that you're playing a Nick Nurse coach team, but this will probably be one of your easier games left on your mm-hmm. schedule. But with the Raptors struggling, playing away from home, possibly dealing with new teammates, that the Blazers have to find a way to get it done. I think they need to defend the three-point line better. Toronto shot 17 of 49 mm-hmm. from three in Portland. Uh Chris Boucher was absolutely lights, lights out. We had no answer for, for him. So defensively, that's that's what I need to see from the Blazers is, is how well they defend the three, which I know we can say really every game, how are you going to defend this? On the offensive end of the floor, Carmelo Anthony. I mean, mm. he, hit the, he hit the game winner against Toronto in Toronto last season. He had 20 points. Um, he is a player that you can run offense through. I don't know if they have a really a, a body to throw at him. And then mm. that's, I think we win this one. I think we go three and one losing to Miami, but winning the other, winning the other three. And I think that would be fantastic as you really get into the, the, the stretch run. Yeah. I think it's a four and a week and let's wrap this bad boy up. Cause it's about two hours long. So a lot you to talk can- about. 
Yeah, I know. And we will be back. If any trades do happen, we will do an emergency podcast that will be out that night. So thank you so much for listening. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Google Play, uh, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays, 2 p.m. to 3, Eastern 4 to 5. And you've if you're listening this far, you're a real one because this is an extraordinarily long podcast. Thank you so much. And a positive review and five stars. It really helps us combat that iTunes algorithm. So thank you so much for listening and we'll be back hopefully this week. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.